guys welcome back to the fieldcraft survival podcast this is your host with the ad space austin and with me for the ad space as well as the podcast following is kevin estella what's up man i'm not gonna let you do this alone austin not okay. not not gonna happen not this time man no. finally dude you've been on the road for a while yeah but, um all right so we're gonna jump into the sponsors that make this content free for you guys and first up is the personal defense network if you want to better prepare and better take care of yourself, which I know you do because you're listening to this podcast for any type of emergency, the personal defense network can help. And myself, as well as I'm sure Kevin, you feel this way and anyone else at Fieldcraft would always tell you, absolutely go and train and learn from other folks in this industry because you're going to get a unique perspective. And uh, the personal defense network has just that. So join a community of thousands who are committed to developing their personal defense skills. Uh, they have a premium membership that gives you access to hundreds of full length videos led by expert instructors in their areas of personal defense, safety, and security. Their video topics include emergency medical techniques, armed and unarmed defense, firearm training, security techniques, and tactics for your home workplace, defensive gear, and so much more. So sign up for the personal defense network, the premium membership now for just $3 for the entire year. All you have to do is go to go.personaldefensenetwork.com forward slash survival. That is go.personaldefensenetwork.com forward slash survival. Next up, our friends over at Kafaru, and we're actually going to talk about these folks in uh, this podcast, right, Kev? That's right. Uh, Kafaru is a it's a company that's really come a long way over the years. They've always been very innovative, but uh, lately they've they've grown exponentially uh, just because of their loyal following and the designs that they have that are really driven by true outdoor uh, hunters, fishermen, uh, sportsmen, and so forth. Um, you know, I had the privilege of, of hanging out with the guys from Kafara recently on a, on a hike at Elevation, which is what we're going to talk about, and using their products for multiple days in the backcountry. And, you know, I'm someone who's sold through and through, uh, having used their gear for probably 15 or 16 years. And, you know, I'm always excited to see the new stuff that they're coming out with um, because it does work. It, it does not fail, knock, knock on wood. I, I've never had a piece of kit fail me so far. And I know a lot of people will share that sentiment because the, the products are, are made entirely here in the United States and they're made uh, with use in mind. They're not just meant to look good. Yeah, and they're, they're made by guys that use the gear. So usually, I, in my experience, I found that to be the disconnect in a lot of gear for the outdoors is that it's you know somebody designs it and then it's not actually used by that person so they're not but these guys are actually able to make those tweaks in-house so guys head over to kafaru.net and check out all the goodness goodness that kafaru has to offer so um kevin you and i are going to talk about mm -hmm. that trip and we'll flow into kind of we have a few other things that we wanted to talk about but we're going to kind of just see where the conversation takes us so here we go guys Hey guys, this is Kevin Estello, Fieldcraft Survival. I'm sitting across from Austin Lester, who did not know how to start this freaking podcast. I know, man. I'm like zoned out. <laughs> Sometimes today. you just got to go with it, bro. I know. You know? I know. I don't know what I was thinking. I, I, I'm so used to doing ads, and it's like I feel like I have to be so prescribed, and it's just like just flow with it. Man. Yeah, and some of the best, best podcasts are just when we're like, whatever, let's just talk about this, because there's so many things that we want to get to, and I'm sure we're going to get to them. How we get to them, we don't know, but I think the <laughs> listeners uh, will kind of follow along because maybe their brains are working the same way ours are uh, as we're trying to navigate this and they're possibly navigating the highways driving to work or whatever it may be 
Yeah, so I did want to talk to you about yeah. your recent trip with the guys from Kafaro. So you were down in Colorado hanging out in it, what was supposed to be a fishing trip, oh my but kind of turned into other. Yeah, so let, let's just start off with this. Uh, the week before the trip, I was at Blade Show down in Atlanta. So I left on a, on a Thursday night, took the red eye, got to Blade Show Friday, spent the day at Blade Show Friday, Saturday, left Blade Show on Saturday night, uh, got in home on Saturday. I had one day to kind of have as an admin day to get packed up and repacked and whatnot. <laughs> and then on Monday, I flew out early to Colorado, and that's where that trip trip happened. And it originally, originally was supposed to be a backpack fishing trip, but Colorado got hammered this year with snow uh, to the point where uh, Aaron Snyder, the CEO of, of Kefaro, was like, hey, Kev, you may have to bring snowshoes in because we're still post-holing uh, on some of the trails around here, and there's no guarantee that the lake is going to be uh, you know, unfrozen. So I pack up all this stuff, and I chose this time not to bring a gun with me just because I figured I'd be with a bunch of guys that already have them, and it's not like me to, to not do that, but I had to pack so much extra gear, oh, yeah. and you know, I was already checking two bags to get out there. I was like, damn, this is going to get really expensive if I have to keep carrying more. Mm -hmm. So I get out there, and uh, you know, we get to the trailhead, and and we got a message from Aaron. Aaron was like, hey, you know, it's been super sunny, super bright. I don't think we're going to need snowshoes. Uh, I'll get to this more of this later on, but basically we would have, could have probably used snowshoes, but they might not have done as good as we wanted to because there's a lot of uh, deadfall. And what turned out to be, or what was supposed to be an easy backpack fishing trip where we were supposed to go slaughter a bunch of fish <laughs> turned out to be absolutely, absolutely a nightmare in terms of hiking at elevation with a heavy pack and no freaking fish. Yeah. So when you say at elevation, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that's usually referring to 10,000 feet and above. Correct. Yeah. So we work here in, in Heber city, Heber city. Um, last time I checked, I think it's like 5,800 yeah, somewhere around there. It, it's up there now perspective. I grew up in Connecticut at an elevation of about 180 feet. <laughs> <laughs> right at the most it was 400 feet above sea level so to come out to utah that was already a change for like a month or so i was walking around sucking wind going up a flight of stairs but then to go to colorado to do this trip with you know aaron snyder total stud outdoorsman backpacker yeah. hunter whatnot frank peralta another crazy dude that's outside uh aaron's wife and then david who, who works at kafaru these are folks who are used to being up at ten thousand right. feet our hike started at ten thousand feet that's mm -hmm. where the freaking trailhead was yeah and we hiked from there to about 11,400. And, you know, there are so many lessons to be learned about hiking at elevation and its effects on the body. And if you're not careful, it can really catch up to you. Um, luckily, I didn't have too many effects. I had a little bit of dizziness, like if I stood up quickly. Um, I had a little bit of uh, dehydration just because, I mean, elevation yeah. zaps it from you. But uh, overall, it was still a great experience, even though we didn't catch any freaking fish. Yeah, well... And I think a lot of people maybe hear about these side effects of being in elevation, but mm -hmm. I mean, it it's kind of startling how hard it does hit you. And it doesn't, unfortunately, you can be in amazing shape and it doesn't really matter because when you're at elevation, it's your body's physiology that has to be mm -hmm. used to being at that elevation. So you have things like the sun being more intense and getting sunburned whenever you probably might not like I'm a pretty tan dude you're a pretty tan dude mm -hmm. don't only have to worry about that but at elevation you got to worry about that you got to worry about um, water staying really hydrated because again it just sucks all the moisture out of your skin being at that elevation so there's a ton of considerations and it's it is really interesting to go from no elevation because I do that here for search and rescue uh, I don't want to say super frequently but 
fairly frequently, more frequently than most. And I go from 5,800 here in Heber to eight, 10 or 11 mm -hmm. uh, up in the mountains to get somebody. And it definitely does take a toll on the body. Yeah. You wouldn't think like we're millions and millions of miles away from the sun, mm -hmm. millions of miles. Like I believe it's like 94 million miles. Uh, it might even be more. I'm sure someone will correct me. <laughs> you wouldn't think going up 5,000 feet. Yeah would make that much of a difference. But when you go up there, there's less atmosphere to protect you from the sun yep. and it will definitely burn you. And your skin is your your body's largest organ. It's important to have like full length sleeves on. Uh, a lot of people fish with gloves on at that elevation. They cover their face. You know, we're in the year of COVID uh, or year and a half of COVID. Uh, and people cover their face so they don't get chapped lips and chapped, uh, you know, skin. Um, but yeah, the, the sun is terrible. Um, Many times you feel drunk when you're at elevation, yeah, it's right? Weird. Like you, you're stumbling around and you're not processing as quickly. Um, elevation is something that you can't really train for mm -mm. unless you have very specialized equipment. Like I was just talking to one of my assistant instructors that helps out on the East coast all the time, uh, Lieutenant Mike. And he's like, dude, I, I don't know how I could train for elevation when he lives in Jersey, mm -hmm. almost at sea level, yeah. you know? And aside from being in better shape, uh, cardiovascular wise, not carrying around extra pounds, it's, it's not like something you can just go to the gym and hit, you know, let's go use the elevation setting. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. tricky. It's a whole different consideration. So it's uh, definitely something for people, for you guys to think about if like you're planning, Oh, let's go to Utah and plan this epic trip yeah. or go to Colorado and plan this epic trip in the mountains. Well, it, do that, plan those things, but plan in um, dropping some weight, getting mm -hmm. on the, getting on the treadmill and being prepared and slowly uh, ascending to, to yeah. elevation and, and budget extra time, right? Because you could walk and I mean, we didn't cover a lot of miles. It was like three and a half miles, four miles, one way in. And I know what I could, I could probably do that in on flat terrain, not at elevation, but when you're factoring in like, oh, I'm going to take a two minute rest break here, mm -hmm. and a two minute rest break there, it is going to take you longer to hike at elevation. And I don't think people always factor that, that little detail in very, very important to remember. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so much when it comes to, to elevation. I mean, when you get higher up in the mountains, water sources become less frequent. Yep. It's not like you're traveling in a valley. Like you really need to take advantage of all the water you can get and, and, you know, you need to carry it in your body if possible. And then when you, here's the double, double-sided sword. Um, you want to carry extra water, but for every pound that you carry, it becomes that much harder to hike. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. like it and, sucks ass. And it's not just water. Like a lot of resources start to dwindle the higher you get, especially when you pass the pine line and get up to where the trees aren't growing mm -hmm. as frequent or as much in any vegetation. And I, and same as you, I mean, you know, I've got a good amount of time in the backcountry, and I'm usually around four and a half, maybe if I'm feeling good, five miles in an, in an hour with mm -hmm. a ruck, you know? And but at elevation, I mean, you might as well cut, almost cut that in half, Sure, you know, and especially the terrain that you guys were in. So that's, it's interesting stuff. It's, it's really cool to me to be able to play around with that um, because you look at your performance. Like I, it's important for me in search and rescue to look at my performance and what can I realistically do in X amount of time at X, X amount of elevation carrying X amount of gear. So uh, I'm jealous, man. I didn't get to go on that trip. Yeah, there'll they'll be others. They actually talked about having us back out there when uh, the lakes aren't frozen over. Uh, <laughs> so, so let me let me get to that because that's yeah. that that part just we're laughing like a bunch of idiots. Well, first because, tell, first tell me about the gear that you took. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so for that trip, I had packed snowshoes, but at the trailhead, Aaron uh, he already had hiked in with his wife, 
and he sent us a message saying, hey, the trail looks good. Well, we got in a good distance, and then Aaron sent another message, and Frank checked it on his on his phone or his inReach, and it said, uh, he said something about, like, I'm balls deep in snow or something <laughs> like that, and it was, it was bad. Um, but basically, I carried a, a Kafaru Reckoning pack, uh, which is a large multi-day pack. I had a zero-degree mummy bag. I decided to sleep under a tarp just because – when you're at that elevation and it's relatively dry, you're not going to deal with too many mosquitoes. So I just tarp camped. Um, I used the inflating pad. I brought two different fishing rods. I brought a fly rod that, you know, we carry them, mm -hmm. you know, in the store here. Um, and then I brought a, a spinning rod, a little five, six spinning rod. Um, and then in terms of other gear, I had like a small possibles pouch, a puffy jacket, you know, your usual like accoutrement of, of like gear that you would carry, like a small belt knife, folding saw. Um, I didn't really go too, too crazy. It was probably mm -hmm. about 40 pounds total. And, and that's with water? With water, right. And with, good. It, it, oh, and then in terms of water purification, I brought a, a Sawyer squeeze. You know, oh, I, nice. like, yeah. I like that. Uh, as long as you can keep it from freezing, you're mm -hmm. good to go with that. And then I brought the Aquamira drops, nice. um, which is what I treated most of my water with. And then the stove I brought was a, a Bush Buddy mm -hmm. that I carry inside of a, a Tokes titanium pot that kind of fits it perfectly. I think it's like the 4,500 uh, 45, 450 milliliter pot or something like that, but mm. it fits almost perfectly. Um, so yeah, we, <laughs> we, we decided we were, we're hiking up. Uh, we left the trail late. Like I said, the trail started at like around 10,000 feet and we hiked up to, uh, this one area. Aaron told me not to mention it because you know, it's, it's one of those secret fishing spots. So I'm not yeah. going to say, <laughs> but we got up to this one pass and the pass was pretty high up there. It was like 11,000, 11,400, something like that. Um, and then it was downhill, downhill into a valley, but then the valley went back uphill to the lake where there were pines and the pines, because of the orientation of the sun, never really got exposure. And there were drifts of snow that were up past my waist. Uh, now imagine this for, if you guys think that you're, <laughs> you want to try this, ask yourself if you want to do one leg squats, uh, trying to get out of snow drifts where you've post hold one leg squats for a half mile with a 40 pound pack. It, it was not easy. Um, we were laughing at each other because, you know, as the day goes on and a lot of people don't realize this, uh, mountaineering or alpineering, whatever you want to call it. As the day goes on, the sun gets, the sun gets stronger and the, the snow gets softer. Well, we were hiking in as the snow was kind of hardening up again, but we were still looking at the tracks that Aaron made when the sun was, uh, pretty, pretty yeah. low in the sky. Yeah. And, and we were sinking in and oh my God, it's not a good feeling when you've got all that extra weight on your back. You're deep in the backcountry at elevation. No really good way of communicating except for an inReach. And now you're you're post holing, and you've got to get your way out of there with one leg. We yeah. were smoked oh, by yeah. the time we got to the lake, which, by the way, the lake was frozen over. <sighs> and here's the biggest kick in the balls. Uh, we got to the lake. Not only was it frozen over, but the state of Colorado decided to kill every single fish in the lake because of whirling disease, uh, which is where oh. fish get this like parasite or bacteria or whatever it may be, and they just swim in circles. Um, and there weren't even minnows in that, that lake. So oh. we got up there and we're like, man, we came up here to fish. I'm looking at my fly rod, I'm looking at all my tackle, and I'm like, I'm like Dang. looking at my poor fishing net. I'm like, yeah, you're not touching a fish this trip. Yeah. You're like, it sucked. But at the same time, we, we laughed our asses off. We had a great time. And I think that's what people miss is that, yeah, it's great to catch fish. It's great to kill something on a hunting trip, but 
it's a lot of fun just to be around your buddies up there and yeah. and kind of sharing the suck. Yeah, you know what absolutely. I mean. Like, well, that post hauling man being in the and that's something people don't even take into consideration. Uh-huh. I see that a lot here. Um, guys will go up and they're like, oh, this is going to be this backpacking trip or whatever they're doing, and then you know you start post hauling for a half mile or a mile into your trip. Well, now when you think about the longevity of your time out there, you just crushed you know bazillions of your calories and mm-hmm. now all your energy's gone you've made half the distance you wanted to, wanted to make you need to use all these other resources it, and you start thinking about that and the, the longevity of it, it it can be a serious issue for people that aren't prepared for it so it's something for folks to think about even this time of year at elevation so that's a that's a really good point and but that shared hardship man we talk about that a lot is like try building 101 mm-hmm. you talk about that quite a bit and um, I mean, in the military and search and rescue and any of the capacities that I've worked personally, like that's like everything, man, is like all the guys, even in EMS, we talk about it like, you know, oh, we did this and you didn't and we had to go through that and you didn't or whatever. But that like building those bonds is like, to me, that's what attracted me to being in the outdoors and into this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think, I mean, people need to recognize that when there's someone in a leadership position using hardship to bring a group together, it's not because the leader hates you. Right. I mean, I used to coach track and field and I would give the kids hard ass workouts. Yeah. And when I first started coaching, it was easier for me to do the workouts with the kids. But as I got older, <laughs> the, the kids stayed the same age, right? There's that McConaughey yeah. line. It was harder for me to keep up with them, but I always gave them hard Wednesday workouts because I wanted them to talk about that Wednesday workout because I knew that, you know, the kid that was maybe a senior and like, you know, Johnny popular might not always talk to the freshman who's like a new kid, but now they have something that right, they share bonding. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, and when people realize it's not about like hatred or love or anything, it's more about creating a team, creating that, that, right. that, that tribe. It's that's when you, you start seeing people say like, okay, we can get through this cause we shared this. We know how we work together under hardship and you know, if we can train hard, we can fight easy or, right, or, yeah. or live easy. Well, what, so what fishing tackle did you take? You told oh, me, man. you told me your poles, but yeah. So, uh, I brought all different things. Um, I brought these little floats that you fill up with water, you put them on your line and you run a leader to them. So it's kind of like the poor man's way of fly mm-hmm. fishing where you can cast out this this float that acts as a sinker and as a, as a bobber. Mm-hmm. But then with a leader, it allows you to fish a fly, right? So gotcha. I brought out that stuff. I brought out my my standard assortment of like Panther Martins and, and yeah. uh, you know Silver Phoebes and, and Rooster Tails and things like that. I, even though I knew that there was nothing in there, I still threw everything because I was like, you know what? Like just in case, what if there's that one like zombie yeah. fish or something that is just massive? I was like, I'm going to try to catch this thing. Um, but yeah, I brought all that stuff. One of the coolest things that I saw, and I'm actually going to post about this uh, at some point. Um, I normally use like a chain fish stringer. And when we were at the trailhead, it said, the state of Colorado has removed all creel limits for all the ponds here. We're like, what? All, hmm. like, you, we could have taken 30 fish if we wanted yeah. to. Well, Frank uh, uses a small tent peg that he has a length of line to. And he's like, yeah, it's kind of like those cheap stringers, just better because it's mm-hmm. an actual tent peg. And you hook your fish up to it and you drive the peg into the ground and you know, you're know you good go to anywhere. go. So I went out and I bought a, a, a cheap tent peg and I was like, okay, I'm just going to make a new stringer out of it. And the thing weighs like 0.6 ounces. So yeah. uh, that compared to my chain stringer saves me about half the weight there yeah. and at elevation. Ounces are pounds, pounds are pain. Yeah. Um, other fishing gear, I did bring a fishing net. Um, I brought the hemostats, the line clippers. Um, you know, some of the guys brought power bait. Some of the guys 
you know, they, they brought all, all different things. Uh, like I mentioned, Panther Martins, uh, Rooster Tails, MEP, MEP spinners, things like that. Nothing bit. Not Nothing, one. Uh, we even found worms. I found a dead marmot up there. Uh, it was just, <laughs> I swear, it looked so peaceful laying by the tree. I thought it was just like semi-dormant. I poked it with the rod, then I picked it up. There was an earthworm that was growing out of its head uh, or, nice. or living in its head, and I pulled that out. I threw that out there. Nothing, not even with a live bait. Wow. Um, and and I'm, a, I'm like a total fishing nerd, and, 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 you know, I was like, it was cool to be up there because it was in like this bowl, this glacial, not glacier, uh, like snow ca- no, snow-filled bowl big mountain that was like another 2000 feet up uh, directly across from us and, and like runoff everywhere. Even though I wasn't catching fish, I was having the time of my life. Yeah. You know? Well, and again, man, just being up there with that caliber of people, the pictures looked epic. So, yeah. I mean, you at least had that going for you, but um, so tell me more about what you guys did on this trip since the fishing was, was uh, go. so with the fishing being not so great, there was a lot of slingshot shooting. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that we, we definitely had some competitions with the slingshot. Um, there were some opportunities to take some product photos and, and Aaron and Frank are both good you know, photographers. So we did some of that. Um, believe it or not, a lot of the time up there was gear maintenance. Um, I decided to hike up there with a pair of, um, Loa Zephyr boots, which are kind of like a light hiker, but I've grown used to hiking with lighter, lighter boots mm-hmm. with a heavier pack. And by the time that I got up there, one thing that I wish I took was a pair of gaiters because mm-hmm. post holing that much, yep. I got so much snow in my boots yep. and don't get me wrong. I don't mind hiking with wet feet. I've done it a bunch of times, but to get to camp, um, when I got to camp, I took out my, 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 I took off my wet socks. I took out the insoles for my boots put them by the fire. And then that night I put everything in my sleeping bag and it dried it all out, which is just an old, old trick that I learned years ago that your body will, will dry out gear. Um, but if I could do it all over again, I would definitely carry a pair of gaiters and I probably would have had more rigid backpacking boots. Um, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of the guys like Zamberlins and I've been dying to try out a pair of those. So um, those things are top notch. Yeah. And they're lightweight, but they're also, they're also sturdy enough to withstand the rigors of carrying an extra, you know, 40 pounds on your back. So, um, a lot of the time was just spent drying gear. Uh, it was spent testing gear. Like there's a new tarp that's coming up out by Kafaro and the winds were, were gusting. And the only thing that broke on this tarp and the, the craziest winds, uh, was just one pull tab. And even if it, even though it did break, um, under the high winds, we were able to use a stone at like a pebble and make a, like a button, like a oh, chalk. Yeah, yeah. So it worked fine after that. Um, that's awesome, man. So, yeah. but with the fishing being no good, I think yeah. I always try to tie everything back to some type of a survival situation mm-hmm. or a what if now I, I would consider myself probably better than average fisherman, but I'm, I'm no Kevin Astone, oh, but, um, what, so when you think about that from a survival standpoint, what do you do whenever there's when the fish aren't biting for you, man? Or what? What if I had been up in that lake, in a in a true survival scenario, and I see a sign that says, "Hey, all the fish are, are have been killed. Do this." So there's right, nothing right. here. Yeah. So that falls back on pace planning, right? Like our primary method of feeding ourselves up there was bringing backpacking food in, bringing different things. I I stopped locally and I got some goat cheese, which our time with Mark Warnke, yeah, learned all about the power of goat Game cheese, right? Like man. I ate a lot of goat cheese on that trip. <laughs> um, so I got goat cheese. I got some uh, some like dried beef sticks and things like that. Um, the alternate plan was obviously catching fish. Contingent plan, maybe finding something off the land, which there were plenty of marmots up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of little little squirrels. Um, I had a couple things in my bag, like cashews. And at one point, here's 
another thing I did when we had did nothing. <laughs> Aaron's got the photo, by the way. So you guys will have to bug Aaron for it. I tied a, a, a cashew onto the end of my fishing line. No fish hook. So if you're from PETA, you can kiss my butt. Um, I wasn't trying to kill these things. But I've done this plenty of times called chipmunk fishing. So I threw out my, my cashew. And the chipmunk grabs the, the cashew, puts the whole thing in its mouth, and you just slowly, I mean, like, real slow, reel it in. And that chipmunk is so, it's like, it's so greedy. It, it backs up, and it won't let go. And meanwhile, you're reeling this, this chipmunk in. Closer and closer. Yeah, so. so uh, that sounds like the next technique for modern predator. Yeah, yeah, that will. <laughs> but maybe with the fish hook. Maybe with the, the fish yeah. hook, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what would you do? I mean, there were pine trees there. I mean, Native Americans lived on pine for a long time. Uh, in fact, Adirondack, which is like one of the next of the woods that uh, I came from, um, the Adirondack means bark eater, right? Mm -hmm. And it was considered an insult if you were an Adirondack uh, Indian because it meant that you would result to eating pine bark when times got rough. And that meant basically that you weren't planning for the winter way ahead of time, right? Like, because pine is a food that you can eat the inner bark um, and you can not only you know, survive on it, you can thrive on it, right. but it'll make your mouth taste like a car freshener oh, yeah. the entire time. <laughs> so we could have definitely gotten pine. Uh, we definitely could have gotten chipmunks. We could have killed marmots. Uh, we actually found the opening of a marmot. Uh, and there's one point where Aaron is looking down over the top, like he's standing on top of a rock. This marmot is just sunning itself. And he just looks over at us. And he's like, guys, there's a marmot right here. He's like, if I were a different person, I could probably like drop a rock on it right now. Oh, yeah. But you know, the thing is, it's like, we don't want to eat marmot. A lot of people will tell you that they carry bubonic plague. And I mean, I guess worst case scenario, if you're going to die from starvation or get the plague. Yeah. Take your chances. Yeah. Take your chances. But I mean, our, our option was we just leave a day early, you know, yeah. we, left, we left early. We had plenty of food uh, left in our, our bags and uh, we left early and, and called it a day. Breaking this podcast to talk about one of our sponsors. Uh, this is a sponsor that I truly believe in because I've been using Athletic Greens now for weeks on end in combination with uh, intermittent fasting and, and the keto diet. And I will tell you that I've done the keto cycle multiple times in the past, um, but there's always an energy lag. And the one difference between this time and all the times in the past was that I started using Athletic Greens, which essentially provides you your entire daily requirement of all your greens for when you are doing some type of diet like this where you don't always get all your spinach and, and lettuce and all that great stuff. Um, so here's a little bit about athletic greens. There's plenty of stressors in life and it's difficult to maintain the effective nutritional habits and give your bodies the nutrients uh, that they need to thrive. Um, busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, the environment, stress, simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave you pretty deficient in key nutrients. And this is where Athletic Greens can help. It's a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood uh, powder is your nutritional essential. And guys, for someone who you know, uh, travels a lot, I will tell you that I pack these in my travel kit and it's very easy for me to get all my daily greens with just a simple you know, travel packet of, of powder I mix with a bottle of water. Uh, they simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you one thing with all the best things. Uh, a simple tasty scoop or a single packet of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, uh, green superfood blend, and more that all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, and aid in digestion uh, that supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. Right now, 
Uh, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during the winter months, uh, or in this case, the soon-to-be super summer months because we're already in a crazy heat wave here. They're offering our audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit uh, our link today. You'll basically never have to buy vitamin D ever again. I've used that stuff too. Uh, It definitely is easy to use. It's a simple drop that you put on your tongue and you're good to go. Uh, Visit athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft and join health experts, athletes, and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, all you got to do, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash fieldcraft and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Guys, check them out. They are awesome. Nice. I kind of want to go down that... uh rabbit trail so to speak of yeah um pun intended mm-hmm. uh of talking about how to actually procure those animals because it's something that i mean trapping and snaring and those types of things is something that a lot of people some people i've even heard think of it as kind of inhumane and sure. some people think of it as something that's not that's the old way of doing things we don't mm-hmm. need to do it that way but i mean for all intents and purposes i mean when you're talking about survival that is an absolutely a game changer if you have some snaring wire, some traps, something like that. Yeah. So, and you even teach a course on this yes. that you came up with. In in this course, Modern Predator, uh, I mean, there's no doubt. Like, I carved a figure four while we were out there just to show the guys, like, hey, this is what I would do. And we found this giant rock that Frank put in his backpack that it, it would have crushed anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but people don't. It's funny, like when you first get into survival, all you want to do is build fires, build shelters. But it's like, <laughs> that's a short-term solution. Yeah. The predator class, people don't realize is the long-term survival class because yeah. I'm showing you, all right, this is how you procure plants from the ground. This is how you uh, build fishing setups, fishing nets, long lines, uh, you know, different trap triggers to you know, basically get your body the protein that it needs. And the predator class is one that, you know, I find when students take it, they're always the most excited to share their notes with one another. Um, and they say things to me like, I never knew that product existed. I never knew it could be that easy. And yeah. you know, I'll tell them some stories and maybe I'll break out my phone and show them some photos of things that have actually worked. And it's funny when, you know, every once in a while the naysayers are like, oh, you've never done that. And I'm like, okay, come to a class and I'll show you some photos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will gladly. I'm not going to put things up online because I'm not going to jeopardize the, you know, the reputation of the company, right. my personal livelihood. I don't want people sending me hate mail or bombs or anything. <laughs> but I will tell you that a lot of these skills in very specific circumstances in very specific locations, 100% work. They yeah. absolutely do, and that's why I'm teaching them because it'll get you beyond that 72 hours that nine out of 10 scenarios wrap right. up in. Well, and this is the thing too is everybody says, well, this is inhumane or this isn't whatever. But uh, if I'm in a survival situation, the Mm -hmm. last thing I'm worried about is trying to be humane. Right. I'm trying to survive. Um, As far as the training aspect goes, this isn't like something that we're doing just, you know, Hey, it's Tuesday afternoon. Let's go out and snare and trap some Mm -hmm. animals. It's like, these are a skill set that you need to practice because it is something that you will, you know, lose it if you don't use it. And so you need to go out and practice these things and make sure that you're still doing the techniques correctly. But that's it's frustrating to hear people say that. What what are your thoughts on, on people that say those things? Uh, the opinions that matter to me are yours, Mike's, Kevin Owens, my family's, my yeah. good friends. Um, I've met a lot of people over the years that are 
acquaintances at best, their opinions do not matter. Uh, and it might sound cold and callous, but they shouldn't matter, right? The people whose opinions matter to me are the people that I care about and I know who care about me. Okay. If there's a stranger out there that doesn't like what I'm doing, guess what? That stranger means nothing to me and I'm absolutely fine with that. <laughs> um, and again, I don't care if someone says, hey, this guy's a dick. Um, assess your own life. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't know me and I'm telling you, hey, uh, I don't like that shirt that you're wearing. Does it really matter if you like it or if, or if your friends like it, you know, or yeah. the people that you care about, if I'm just some stranger to you, then my opinion shouldn't right. matter. Shouldn't. Um, but I'll tell you something. If you were to say to me, Austin, like, Hey, uh, I don't like the fact that you're teaching this in this class because X, Y, Z, I would actually take that into account and be like, damn, I need to reassess myself, recenter right. myself because I know that your opinion in that respect matters more than more than most. Um, plus we have a vested interest in bringing all of our students together, uh, and, and moving them forward. So right. giving them the best solutions yeah. to real world problems, which the, in these real world problems happen all the time. They do. You know, it's not like we've talked about it. Possibility, probability. It's not like aliens are coming down from outer space. Like there are people <laughs> that starve and yes. there are people that are found without food. And yeah, yeah I mean, well, I, that's why I like the, sh the show alone. There's not many survival shows out there that I particularly care for, mm -hmm. but alone, um, especially in its first few seasons, did a really good job of highlighting a very realistic type survival situation that most people have. And they, they did pick people that are experts in their space and, and know the game very well. But I mean, they, even those people still suffered from the same things that everyone else would suffer from. And if you watch that show, I think they're going all the way up into season eight. Now, if you look at that show, people are still suffering from the same things and losing because of the same reasons, which mainly is starvation. Most people go out there and drop 40, 50, 60 pounds yeah. in a short amount of time. And then they're pulled out of the show because they're damn near on their deathbed. So if, if these people that are doing this in a, in a really somewhat semi-controlled environment, but it's still in a realistic scenario mm -hmm. that are experts in their field are still starving and still having troubles with those things, if you're not practicing these things on a regular basis, what should make you think that you're going to do any better in another scenario similar to that? Yeah. Speaking of alone, I'm really excited for Mike Lowe to be out here on July 31st and August yeah. 1st, because I want to pick his brain around the yep. campfire. Um, he was on that show. I think he was on season two. I can't remember. I think it was two one or, or three. two. Um, but I mean, he's a guy who, who went as far as he wanted to. And then he was like, ah, peace out. I miss my yeah. wife. Like it, I will say of, of all the seasons I've watched that dude did leave kind of like a G because yeah, he's he like, did. I don't have anything else to prove. Like I'm here, I'm sustaining myself. I could continue to do this or I can just be like, I kind of want to go see my wife. So I'm going to go see my wife. Like I, I got a lot of respect yeah, for that guy. Hell yeah. Yeah. He's uh, an, he's a, he's an old, uh, seer guy from the air force. So, um, dude, he's. He's a really interesting guy, man. Um, I think you should podcast him before that course. Ooh. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I, cause when he's out here, like not to be selfish or anything, but I want to like do a lot of community things with him. Like, right. But you should maybe podcast him before and yeah. kind of like build up you know, a little yeah, bit of we'll anticipation see. or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, so get let's get back to Alone for a second. I'm, I'm all over the place today. <laughs> um, so what's interesting is see, uh, Alone is on season eight, and there are people who are gaming it now. Right? Like yeah. they're going in 40 or 50 pounds heavier. Right. Everyone is carrying a bow and arrow because they're seeing the things that people have done with them before. Um, but even when they are super prepared and when they find people who have all the gear and all the training in the world, first episode, a guy goes out because he's about to have a heart attack. Yeah. Like, the, like <laughs> unbelievable show. And you don't think about that. Like, like 
wrapping this back into elevation, okay, you bring all the gear in the world. You, yep. or I should say, the right gear in the world, the lightest gear. You are, you know, taking your time. There are things that can happen to you out there that we just can't prepare for, no. you know? And the only thing that you possibly could do is just, you know, fall back on a core set of skills. And, and maybe in that case, that's when you do take out your inReach and you dial, right. you know, the emergency feature or you have your friends carry you out. And, but I mean, like that show alone it is incredible. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I never would want to go on it because my mind would be playing all sorts of crazy tricks yeah. with me. Um, <laughs> and also they don't allow you to sneak up on other camps and burn them to the ground in the middle of the night. Cause that was my strategy. <laughs> if I ever got on there, I would just, be a Viking or yeah. something, even though I'm not even anything Viking. Um, so I would just love to do that. Imagine, but imagine that, like yeah, you show up, you show back up to your camp and the whole thing's on fire and you're like, I didn't leave a fire burning. Why is yeah. this on fire? And I'm over there in the corner <laughs> laughing like it. Like laughing a, with all their shit in your hands. Yeah, exactly. Running off into the woods. Right. Yeah, that'd be a game changer, man. Maybe we should make our own Fieldcraft survival version of Alone. I think I think people should put in the comments what they, what they yeah, think about that idea. That, yeah. How we can make it even better. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, I, I think it's one of the best, uh, especially in the modern culture of of, of Netflix, Agreed. whatever things mm -hmm. that displays people being in realistic type scenarios. And it, dude, it's so interesting for me and Search and Rescue to see people in these scenarios on a fairly regular basis. And dude, it it blows my mind at the level of unpreparedness that I see and the level of. Um, over preparedness and other things and under preparedness and some things. Well, you just got called out on Saturday. Uh, what was the story with that? One? So we, um, we got called to a boating accident and, uh, it got paged out as a boating accident and we didn't get a whole lot of detail initially. Um, I actually like looked at my phone. I have an app on my phone. I'm in a group chat, uh, with all the SAR guys on group me. And so the, the page went out, my radio went off. And I saw a bunch of people checking into the call and I'm like, well, there's enough people going like, this is my down day. And then I was like, no, I gotta go. I gotta, because it, I just have this like conviction of yes, like, you like You're I a have to, I am man. It's just in like in my DNA that I mm -hmm. have to go do these things. And so I take off, grab my pack, take off. I show up and I live, I mean, I live in really close proximity to the, to the sheriff's office in the search and rescue building. So I'm there, usually one of the first guys there. And so one of the dudes had beat me there, was loading up jet skis. Um, and then the other guy had backed in the uh, command truck and was uh, hooking up the boat. So I helped finish up hooking up the boat, grabbed our life jackets, grabbed our water gear um, and took off. And it was up at the Strawberry Reservoir which is, it's about a 30 minute drive. I mean, we were run, running code, so it was, I mean, we got there in like 20-ish, but um, we get up there, um, check in with command, they tell us where they want us to put in. And then um, we actually like get out on the water and we were on the water fairly quickly compared to other units that were responding. Get out there, we're riding around, kind of checking our area and our search pattern. They tell us, they give us a description of this boat, which was kind of like a motorized canoe. Uh, Utah Fishing Game actually found the thing as we're rolling up on it as well. Find the find it, and then it's weird because it, this is where that investigative kind of part comes in. Is like, well, why someone is saying that this guy? It, it came out as a boating accident, but then mm -hmm. it's like, well, did the guy tip the boat over, and someone was saying they saw a guy in the water? Or is there just a, a boat randomly up here on the shore, no one around? It, it kind of gets weird, right? And so um, they actually had a couple of people up on the shore um, trying to investigate and see what was going on. So we were able to 
Um, long story short, we were able to kind of track the guy into where where he was, which was really interesting. And so um, here we were thinking it was going to be uh, this really worst case scenario where a guy flipped the boat because the boat landed on shore um, where the wind would have pushed it and and come to find out you know the boat had been sitting there for a little while and they we were able to find the guy so it, it was it was a relieving feeling to know it wasn't worst case scenario yeah so i being from connecticut uh long island sound is is the southern shore of connecticut and every year they put out notices and they say you need to tie up your boats if you have a kayak you have a canoe you have a, a, a sunfish make sure that when you pull it up on shore you have it tied off and it's not just resting on shore because how many false search and rescue calls get called out for people who just let their boats float away. And then on top of it, here's the worst part. People don't put their names in their boats. So now you don't even know who to contact. Like, right. And because of all the people buying and selling boats during COVID and before COVID or just upgrading, you can't track like a hull identification number to any person anymore, especially on a small craft. Right. Because no one registers a kayak that's worth $200. Right. You know, so I feel bad for you guys that sometimes you get called out like that. Yeah. It's like your adrenaline's going through the roof. And the next thing you know, it's just some guy who was just being careless. Right. And, and it does happen. I mean, I would say probably a little less than half of our calls are started and stopped within 10 minutes because they're like, oh, they found him. Oh, it was just this. And it, it is kind of an annoyance sometimes because it, it almost seems like it's a cry wolf type thing. But you got to take every call as serious as the next and, and, and go into every situation as if that is exactly what it is Mm -hmm. because, and the scary part is a lot of times you only get half the information, you know, like someone that calls 911, like one of the best things you can do as a citizen is be a really, really, really good reporter, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like be very detailed in what you report, be very specific in what you report because you know, we get paged to, uh, yeah, it looks like a guy may have tipped over a four wheeler, um, over here on this, you know, trail and we get there and then there's an ATV rolled over with six kids in it and everybody's injured, nobody's conscious. And it's this whole thing. And, you know, we tend to send more resources to a call than we actually think we'll need for that reason, because we get there thinking it's a guy maybe rolled his ankle on his ATV that I dumped. And then there's a bunch of people there that are all really seriously injured. And if you don't have the manpower and you don't report it correctly or take the time to make it count, then you're doing a disservice to not only the responders, but the person that needs the help. Sure. So it, it, it and it's just, that's the name of the game, right? Is, is going into the unknown. And, and, but that's why this level of preparedness is huge. Um, and what we take and what we what gear we always have so yeah and you never and you never know where something like this could happen I mean while I was away I know that we had a series of tragic accidents right here in Heber so just for anyone that's listening from you know Heber just know that the entire fieldcraft community is behind you and we're here to help you if you if you ever need it Um, there's a terrible car accident here Um, you know you just cannot sometimes I mean I hate to say it like this but sometimes you know when it's your time it's your time right you know, but there are steps that you can take to kind of fight off the reaper, you know, like right. be vigilant, carry gear, get training. Um, I mean, it was terrible what I heard about that accident. And, uh, you know, I hope that doesn't strike any other families, but the reality, and Mike said this this past weekend is, I mean, how many people die every year because of car accidents and right. how much training do we get after say drivers at in high school is how much how much additional training do we get to prepare ourselves for those right you know? you sp- i mean you spend an insane amount of hours in your vehicle 
uh, every year. So it's like if you're not, and I talk about this in almost every med block that mm-hmm. I teach. Uh, I'm a stickler for med. Everybody says, well, my med, that med kit's $350. Well, yeah, but your Gucci'd out Glock tells me that $350 really isn't shit, right? Like you got yeah. a Glock in your, in your pants that costs twelve dollars to $1,500 after you put all the bills and whistles. But that $350 med kit, that's your 99% more apt to have to use at some point in your life is a fraction of that cost. Like what we, and a funeral is a hell of a lot expensive, right? More expensive. <laughs> right. And like, but if you're not practicing with your med gear in a seated position, uh, in the dark where I can't see under stress, then, I mean, you're, you're kind of not setting yourself up for success, right? Like a lot of people will grab a tourniquet. They have all the lights on in the house and they stand there and they giggle and they make it a fun thing. And that's, and that's good for learning the fundamentals. But if I'm trying to learn how to do this, in an atmosphere that's realistic, I need to do it under stress where I'm sit- seating you know, or sitting down and I can, I have to force myself into weird positions and do it, um, you know, after I run around my house three or four times mm-hmm. or, you know, dump my hands under some cold water in an ice bucket for a few seconds and then do, put on a tourniquet. Now you're, now you're actually training for something that is a worst case scenario because if I can do it in those scenarios, then I can do it when it's easy. Right? Sure. Yeah. So it's, it is unfortunate, but it's, I mean, and those are all Heber city locals, you know, Mm -hmm. that passed away and, um, it's devastating for a community. But one thing I will say that's been a amazing to see, um, is the support that this community has given to those families. Like, um, I'm a part of a Facebook page that's about, you know, like there's a couple yard sale pages and a couple other like community pages. And, um, another as a preparedness minded individual, it's, a lot of people joke and make fun of those kind of pages, but it's actually a great way to get information about your community. You know, if somebody says, Hey, what's this truck that's driving around all suspicious at 11 o'clock at this neighborhood? Well, and that's your neighborhood. Then you might want to know that information. So that's just a little tip, but it's been amazing to see, like they made a post, somebody made a post and there were probably 150 or 200 people outside of the house of one of these families of someone that lost their life. And it was amazing that they were, they were ringing food and they were, um, really being that true sense of a neighbor and building the community around and supporting these families and insulating them because the unfortunate thing that the world has taught us to do is people that aren't like you or people that are dealing with things that you don't deal with is you exclude them. You just get Mm -hmm. away from that and kind of push this way. But the real solution to that is to insulate those people, bring them into your community and bring them into the, into the fold and, and make them feel like they're not alone. So it's, it has been, amazing to see that the community that we live in and that we're a part of is that way. Uh, it's hard to find these days. Yeah. When I was, when I was a teacher, you know, we had a few students that passed away. I mean, way before they should have. And I would always tell my students, I, I would say things like, uh, you know, at times like that, we're left with more questions than we're left with answers. And when students would say, well, I don't even know what to say to a person that lost someone. I said, you don't have to say anything, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes you can just hug someone and hold them, literally hold them and just let them feel that you're there for them, right? Yep. Sometimes we can express ourselves with words. Other times we can express ourselves with actions. And in that case, when a community gets together like that and they are just there, you can't deny that they're that they're present and you don't have to have any words spoken, but just knowing that they're there for you yeah. and it's powerful. Yeah, it is. And it, uh, just in my experiences in EMS and stuff and, and seeing communities that have been affected by these types of things, I mean, it goes a really, really, really long way with, with families and with people because, um, dude, I, I, it was, I just actually lost someone in my family recently. And, 
Um, and I'm not even at home in North Carolina to mm-hmm. be there with my family. And I feel for them. But what makes me feel um, whole is knowing that the communities that my family live in yep. are taking care of them and Absolutely. that they're they're there for them in a time that, I mean, I can't be there. I, I have a huge family, and I'm fortunate for that. And all my family really cares about each other. So, um, But it, community to me is, is one of the – actually just – like made a post on it on Instagram today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's something to me that's, uh, because I grew up that way. That means everything, uh, you know, growing up in a rural town where, you know, my dad, uh, the factory he worked in, uh, I can't remember how old I was, was, I was probably 12 or 13. He lost his job. And I mean, we weren't like in by any means really like hurting because of that, but all of my community brought things over, brought food, brought, um, supplies for us to use came over and helped out with some some things getting done around the house to where we didn't have to spend money to do it and it was like holy crap man like these people mm-hmm. actually care about us you know and I mean we ate off of other people's food for a month because yeah. of that. and my dad went right into another job and everything worked out but it was it, it's just that feeling I even remember having as a kid of like this sense of security knowing that no matter what happened that the people around me were going to help take care of me and my family. It's just, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. And there's no easy segue from this topic to, you know, the end of the podcast. Um, but I will say this on a, on a positive note. Uh, we did a little community thing for Kevin Owens on Friday. Uh, Kevin Owens, uh, is going to be heading up Fieldcraft East in North Carolina. He's going to be closer to his family, which is awesome. He's, he's definitely earned it over the years a million times over. Um, so we decided that we we're going to do a little something special for Kevin. So at the mobility experience, we got him a, a print of him and Mike Lover standing out at one of the courses that they taught all the employees. We signed it. Um, but we wanted to do a little bit of a goof. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's because I got a, a strong Joker vibe in me. So we went to a, went to a local uh, grocery store. I got the finest Idaho potato you could find. <laughs> And I got a birthday candle and we lit the birthday candle and we presented it to Irish Kevin Owens and he proceeded to look at it, laugh at it. And before he had a chance to punch me in the face, um, because I was worried about that, (laughs) but he didn't, uh, we presented him with a photo, which he threw the potato into the, into the fire, grabbed the photo, gave us all hugs. And that was that. So, um, so it was just cool to see our community come together for him because we do support him. We're looking forward to hosting him out here for future long range courses and other things he's going to do with us, uh, here at Fieldcraft HQ. Um, and we but, look forward to going and training at his oh facility. God, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah, so guys, pay attention on the East Coast, man. There's going to be a lot coming um, from Kevin and Fieldcraft East. It's uh, it's exciting, man. I, Kevin, we're going to miss you, dude, because uh, I learned a lot from that guy. And he has some of the funniest, most badass stories of all time. So, <laughs> Especially um, the badass Yeah, story. right? The it's, badass it's no story. Yeah, if you, <laughs> if you get a chance, if you're at a course, ask him about that. I'm sure he'll tell you. But. Uh, guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, I hope you were able to to get a little few nuggets of information from Kevin about his trip and uh, what to pack for your next exploration trip into the backcountry. And we will catch you guys on the next podcast. Cool. Yeah, that was like right 45. around 45? 45. Yeah, we started that's, like right at 15. And that's what you want, right? Yep. Yep. Easy to edit. Yep, super easy.